Thank you, Alan, and a special thanks to you, Steve, because I wanted to say that, and you said it so well. I didn't pick this subject, but I accept it with uh, enthusiasm. It's an important subject. I spoke on one similar to it at the Murray Road Memorial Meeting, so when I got this topic, my first thought was, well, there must have been something good in that talk because they want me to repeat it. On further reflection, I think they're just giving me another chance to maybe get it right. So expect to hear me on this topic again, because I won't get it all right. But I do have some of the same trepidations that maybe Steve alluded, alluded to. Not everybody is in the same position. Some of you are raising children. You've got them under your roof. And so you can take some of this maybe at heart. Some of you haven't started your families yet. Maybe something will stick in your mind that will help you. Some of you haven't even decided to have families yet. So, And some of you are empty nesters, so maybe you can help guide some other people along the way in various times. So we're going to approach it as if we can hopefully all of us get something out of this. In my opinion, when we talk about parenting is hard, there are a few topics as complex yet as simple as the one that we've been asked to talk about this evening. You flip through any trendy parenting magazine today, and you'll find an endless list of tips and techniques on how to rear, rear your children responsibly. Schedules, health diets, child aerobics, mind development. The world has plenty to say about parenting. Frustrated and desperate parents can find quick and easy solutions to meet almost all of their immediate needs. Some say don't force them to do anything they don't want to do. Don't, and certainly don't punish them for expressing themselves. The important thing really is to simply build up self-esteem. The tips like that may pro provide immediate comfort to a frantic or overwhelmed parent, but though the world's Pragmatic short-term solutions, I believe, come with a very huge price tag. God has provided every social institution with a means to promote order and discipline. To the government, upholding laws. To the church, the purity of the word. To the family, love and correction. But what happens when a society, when a church, when the home, when God-ordained authority refuses to implement God-given principles. Parenting becomes hard. While I didn't assign myself this topic, I was given an opportunity for the, for the uh, title. And as I reflected on it later, I should have put a question mark. Is parenting hard? Because I think if I surveyed this group, some of you would say yes. Some of you would say no. And a lot of you would say it depends what day you ask me. And I think there's some real truth to that also. But every family has its moments when rebellion and selfishness run deep. And it's impossible, I believe, to rear a child correctly from infancy to independence without having times that call for straight talk and tough love. And when we fail as parents, it's often because we don't have that straight talk or that tough love. We parents continue to love our children no matter what. And we can't escape the times when wills clash, when rebellion rears its head, and things sometimes seem hard, if not impossible. 
For various reasons, most adolescents from time to time living at home reach a point where they refuse to obey and all attempts seem futile. And this can result in harsh words, ugly scenes, parent and child both refusing to back down. Disobedience and reason are incompatible. And all efforts seem to sometimes make things just get worse. That's when parenting stops being fun. But it's also when parenting remains extremely important. Is parenting hard? I think it probably depends somewhat on the day. Or our age. My first thought personally was no parenting wasn't that hard. I suspect I forgot many of those days when it was. The further away you get, the more you tend to maybe savor those juicy, wonderful moments and you forget those tests of the wills. But I have to say, Donna and I have been so, so blessed with a couple of boys that certainly exceeded their father's expectation. But the ultimate pain for a Christian parent must be seeing them walk away. And the hardest is to see them walk away from the Lord. Some love their children enough to provide for them in all areas of life, except salvation. Sadly, being a believer does not guarantee that we'll be good or successful parents. Eli was a terrible parent, apparently. Samuel, who maybe learned some of his parenting skills from Eli, didn't appear to be a terribly good parent either. David, who knew how to walk with the Lord, stumbled all over his walk with his family. Second Samuel chapter 3, we have recorded that he had six wives and six sons born at Hebron. In 2 Samuel 15, six more wives and concubines and 11 more children listed. So with all those wives and concubines, he probably had well over 20 children, and maybe that's only the tip of the iceberg. I don't know. But we know David is a man of great accomplishments. He expanded the territory. He provided great wealth. He was a brilliant organizer, manager, warrior. He unified the nation to a great extent under Yahweh. But he lost control of his family. Too many wives. Deuteronomy 17, 17. Too many children for him to raise appropriately. Apparently, David was not equipped or at least not inclined to provide his children with the emotional, spiritual guidance that they needed. He was a man after God's own heart, but that characteristic sadly didn't get passed on to many of his children. Absalom rebelled. Amnon raised his sister. Murder and lust permeated David's family. No discipline. Sad, familiar ring. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, or chapter 2 and chapter 3, I mentioned Eli. It says he honored his sons more than he honored God. Imagine that. A priest. And in chapter 3 it said he did not restrain them. We often think that the children of Israel wanted a king because they wanted to be like other nations. That's true. But I believe there was a second reason they wanted a king. They wanted to make sure Samuel's sons, who were rebellious, didn't end up in a leadership role. So what is a parent? One who produces children? No. 
I believe a parent is one who takes the child that God has given them and blessed them with and nurtures them into a servant of the Lord. Less than 1% of the children in our nation are in Christian homes. Less than 50% of those that are in Christian homes grow up to not know the Lord or serve the Lord. Hope stashed, souls lost. It is the absolute duty of every generation of God's people to pass along the wonder of God and His revelation. It is not a new revelation for each generation. So it has to get passed along from generation to generation. Psalms 145 and 4, One generation shall praise your works to another and declare your mighty acts. Children, young people, listen, 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 not to me, but to godly people that can help guide you. Parents, adults, teach, teach, teach wisdom and experience. I think it was about three weeks ago I was at a congregation and uh, family had three kids. A little three-year-old girl came up to me. She didn't know me from Scoot, and I don't remember her name, so I guess I didn't know her. She grabbed my leg and she said, I, I complimented her for being a nice little girl. She said, my daddy reads the Bible to me every night. Enough said. Is that your house? Was it my house? God wants to have a relationship with each new generation, but it has to come through biblical truth they learn. In Judges chapter 2, verse 7, it says, So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days the elders that lived, outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. In other words, as long as Joshua was there or people that were alive that had seen what had happened during Joshua's tenure, they stayed with the Lord. But now listen to verse 10. When all that generation had died and gone to their fathers, another generation rose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work he had done for Israel. It simply had not got passed on. Parents, it's not a guilt trip. I believe it's a fact. You are primarily responsible to teach the Lord's truths to your children. The church is also responsible, but I believe the responsibility falls directly on parents. I don't believe as strong as the church is, it can usually undo what the, do what the home undoes. The most important school any child here or that you or I know attends is the home. And the most important teacher they will ever have are their parents. It's been said, the spirit comes down vertically from God where the truth of God is imparted horizontally. Well, I believe imparting the truth of God is our responsibility. That's the horizontal part of that. And then just watch the Spirit of God come down vertically. But too often, I'm afraid, maybe we bubble with joy. 
even when children are brought into families with little interest or commitment to the spiritually important things. I sometimes wonder why some people have kids. Now, an accurate statement would be it's none of your business. But do some people simply have kids because they're the consequences of intimacy? Or to keep up with others and all their friends are having kids? We don't want to get left out. Or maybe we're thinking about the joy they can bring to us in later years or give grandma somebody to spoil or maybe have someone to take care of us when we're old. Now, there's not anything wrong with some of those reasons. But I believe too seldom children are brought into this world and not for the right primary reason, and that is to become servants of God. In Luke chapter 14, verse 28 and following, it tells us to count the cost. I think the reference there is to our discipleship. But I think the application of par- applies to parenthood. Count the cost. I'm not talking about how much it, the dollars, although there is that impact, I guess. Time, effort. In Psalms 145 and 4, it says, One generation shall praise your works to another. Notice he didn't say, we'll teach your works. Now, we need to teach. But he said to praise your works. It's a Hebrew word that means the Lord, command. Command, have compassion, not just attending. It's not necessarily shouting and jumping or being loud, but it carries the idea of an intensity seen in consistency, devotion, and example. When Paul was writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, he said, Let no one despise your youth, but what? Be an example. Now he goes on later and says, give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. But what did Paul mention to Timothy first? Be an example. If I could just leave one thought for all parents, you've got to be the consistent, godly example if you want your children to follow in the past. Now, occasionally children will not outlive us, but they'll supersede us. And good children can come out of dysfunctional families. But usually that's not necessarily the case. Children learn what is really important to you long before doctrine means anything to them. Foundational to all ministry to the young is that God's ordained way of shaping our children into committed and countercultural, wise-thinking, loving Christians is their parents who model and teach a God-centered life. Priorities, 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 consistency, consistency, consistency. So what makes parenting hard when it is? Well, I think if I had to list two things that make parenting hard for parents, it's selfishness and inconsistency. And what also makes it hard on the children's side is selfishness, foolishness, and immaturity. I'm going to spend the next few minutes that I have with listing nine reasons or key insights. Maybe that's a better way to say it. That I think that we need to come to grips with to make parenting easier and more successful. These may not all apply to your family. Take them for what they're worth. These were the ones I came up with. If you come up with nine or ten, you'd have different ones, and they might be just as good, but my nickel. Number one, 
Parenting is sometimes hard because kids are inclined toward foolishness and sin. Now that sounds like a harsh statement because we get these just wonderful little bundles and there's several of them here tonight. And they're, they're all lotioned up with talcum powder and smell so whoopie doo. <laughs> Underneath that, there's a budding, budding, rebellious child. Our cultural thinks of children as innocent and impressionable, blank slates, waiting for external influences to educate them. The Bible says a little bit more. In Proverbs 22 and 15, it says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, and but the rod of discipline drives it far from them. Children come into this world, I believe, already leaning, just like you and I did when we came into this world, in the direction of self-centered rebellion. I believe that's an inbred natural tendency. And some, by the way, never grow out of it. You know, there was a time when a timeout was when dad would go pick the switch. That's not really the way it's done anymore. I don't know that that's good or bad, but I do think it's different. But I do believe the Bible teaches us that there is a place for corporal punishment in the appropriate way it's administered. Rebellion is the external act, but its source is the heart. Wise parents find themselves dealing primarily with issues of the heart rather than issues of behavior. And I think that's a mistake that many of us have made on various, maybe all of us at some point in our parenting have made the mistake. But parenting is not ultimately about developing right behavior. It's about developing right hearts. And once you get a right heart, then the behavior follows. You can't beat prolonged behavior into somebody. You can you can beat temporary behavior into them. But it's the heart. Our ultimate job as parents is to help our children's hearts to become properly related to God through faith in Jesus Christ And then the behavior will follow. As a parent, past, present, or future, think of yourself as an evangelist. And you have been sent a future sinner. Now, what are you going to do with them? You're going to love them, I'm sure. That's what you're getting. And that's why parenting can be hard. Number two, I believe parenting sometimes is hard because change and growth can seem to occur remarkably slow. We're an instant results nation, generation. You instruct and instruct, and then the next morning it seems that it's just gone all in one ear and out the other. And I know that you've all had that experience with children. Why was it not clear? Why are they not getting this? The answer is change is remarkably slow. Parenting is often the fine art of saying the same thing 10,000 times over the course of 20 years without losing your patience and sanity. Why? 
because change comes slow. But isn't that the way God works with us? How patient and repetitive he's had to be with you and I to get us to this little feeble state we're at right now. Why would it be any different with a child? And we're not as good a teachers as the Lord. Number three, I think parenting can be hard because we can be, or I'm almost going to say we are, incredibly selfish. Both parent and child are oftentimes very selfish. But let me talk first about the parents. We may find ourselves getting angry as a parent because the sinfulness of our child or the slowness of their maturing interferes with our desire to do other things. We want to go do what we want to do. We want to rest. We want to take a nap. And they have these other demands or this rebellion. And interferes with what we would like to do. Now we all know that children can be selfish. But I cut them a little slack. They haven't been taught not to be yet. But when you add their tendency to be selfish and our tendency to be selfish, things can get hard. Parenting includes teaching our children not to be selfish, but you can't teach something that you yourself have never learned. So maybe it begins with us learning to be patient and selfless. We also, as parents or adults, want to be thought of well by other people. We want people to think we're good parents. We feel like the behavior of our children is somehow a reflection on us as a person. You ever notice a child can do one thing in the grocery store and get reprimanded? He does the same thing at home and nothing's ever said. What's the difference? It's the publicity of the act. Now, there are some things that are inappropriate in public and could be appropriate at home. But oftentimes when I see that, I think what's really at play is the embarrassment of the parent, not the instruction of the child. We want to be well thought. We want everyone to think we're good parents. I was with a, a couple not too long ago and their child was acting up and the mother said, I bet, and she mentioned another couple, she said, I bet their kids, they never have this trouble. Well, I don't know if they do or not, if I'm not that familiar with them, but I got a pretty good idea that most of us are in the same boat and have the same issues. We become unreasonable in our expectations. We want them to do the right thing because we want to be thought of as a right parent. We, we, we. Do you get the point? Those are selfish words. Selfishness makes parenting harder. Godly parenting does require sacrifice, giving and denying Christ's call to discipleship. He gave that to us in Luke chapter 14. Quality time is good, but oftentimes quality time is a code word for selfish. Quality time, as good as it is, never takes the place of quantity time. We need both. And selfishness often makes us inconsistent in our attendance, in our service, in our promise keeping. We promise to do something with them, and then something better that we'd rather do comes along, and we put them off. What have we just taught them? Now, I understand occasionally those things will rear their head, but think what you're teaching. What do they see coming first, them or what we as parents or adults want to do? Focus on parenting has to be a heart modification, not behavior. 
because behavior follows the heart. That makes parenting hard. Number four, parenting can be hard because our culture is tragically sinful. That's been touched on in our previous two lessons, so I won't spend a lot of time on it. But we send our kids out into a world where people are confused about the most obvious and elementary aspects of rightness. Among people who don't even know which bathroom to use anymore or whether to call someone he, she, him, her, or it. It's like throwing a kite into a tornado. And we wonder why there's a disaster. Well, they're going to have to go out in the tornado, which just makes our responsibility all that much greater, doesn't it? Jesus warned his disciples about the corrosiveness and contagious effect of culture. In Mark chapter 8, verse 15, he said, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. He was warning them about their environment. Jesus was saying that sin spreads and saturates. It affects everything it comes into contact with, including, of course, our children. Our children are dealing with cultural and ideological headwinds, the likes of which we have really not experienced. That's one of the major reasons that I think parenting can be hard. Number five, I think parenting can be hard because the devil is at work. And the devil is no gentleman. He goes after the weak, the vulnerable, and the young. The devil gets inside heads and plants lies and doubts. As parents, our job is to put the word of God inside those little hearts and those little minds. In Psalms 119 and 9, it says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. My daddy reads the Bible to me every night. Remember that little girl? I don't know what the future holds for her. I just know she's off to a great start. Our job is to fill their hearts. Number six, sometimes parenting is, becomes hard because prayer is neglected. Prayer, despite our many talks and studies on prayer, tends to be one of the things we do after everything else is tried. It's good to try it after you try everything else, but it's also great to try it before you try everything else. Jesus sent his disciples off and they came back and they were trying to heal this son of this man. And they hadn't been successful in casting out the demons. And, and they came back and the disciples of Jesus were, were disappointed. And probably Jesus was disappointed. But thankfully this father pressed on through this disappointment. And Jesus, of course, did exactly what he always does. He had compassion and brought mercy and help. But in Mark chapter 9, verse 29, after he had done it, he said, said to his disciples this. This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. I once asked Marvin Engel before we had children what his secret was, because all four of Marvin's kids were are in were are in the church. And he just had one word for me prayer. Well, I think there was more to it than that, but that was the right right response that always stuck with me. Number seven, and I'm going to take just a little bit more time on this, but try to use my time appropriately. I think we often as parents rob our children of the hard times that can only teach them invaluable lessons. We want our children to 
not have to go through some of the hard things we had to go through. And I understand that. That's a natural response. But we need to be careful because if we take away all of the hard things we went through, all of those lessons we learned because we went through those hard things are not going to be learned by them. John Roberts, who is Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, was asked to give a commencement address at a middle school. Why would the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court give a commencement address at a middle school? Because his son was graduating from the middle school. But I want to read to you an excerpt about of what he put in there. He, he wrote, he said, I wanted to leave these children with something a little different. Every commencement address tells them, the world's at your, at your foot, you got a wonderful opportunity, go get them, rah, rah. And, and that's okay, that's good. But he said, I wanted to take a different tact. And he said this. This is just an excerpt from it. He said to these young middle schoolers, I hope from time to time you will be treated unfairly so that you will learn the value of justice. I hope you will suffer betrayal for that will teach you the importance of loyalty. I hope you will be lonely from time to time so you will never take your friends for granted. When I hope when you lose and on occasion you will, it's a way for you to learn the importance of sportsmanship. I hope you will be ignored so you will learn the importance of listening. I hope you will have just enough pain so you will learn the value of compassion. He then added, whether I wish these things or not, they will happen. And whether you benefit or not will depend upon your ability and willingness to learn the messages of your misfortune. It is hard to see our children hurting. But remember, that may be the classroom they need to be in at that moment. They get picked up for something as teenagers. And they're in jail. Not prison, but jail. Our first inclination is to bail them out. And that might be the right thing to do. But let me suggest to you, maybe the better inclination is to leave them there overnight. I know several Christian men who have left their sons in jail, county jails, not maximum security, but county jails overnight just to teach them a lesson. Now, I don't know that that's the right thing to do every time, but I do really like the idea of some lessons can only be learned that way. And pardon me, guys, if you end up in jail, it's not my fault. I'm just giving them a suggestion. Okay? Best thing to do is don't get there. On maybe a little lesser note, just to be practical for a moment, I have seen teenagers brag about their parents getting them out of a traffic ticket. I absolutely, and I don't have anybody in mind, but I absolutely shudder when I hear that. What is that teaching the child? You go ahead and mess up, I'll get you out of it. Are they ever going to learn to be accountable? And now the parent wonders why parenting is hard. My boys are growing up enough. I think I can say this. It's not in my notes, but one of them, well, both of them, but this particular one got a traffic ticket. So we decided, what are we going to do? We went to see a lawyer, see if we could get it amended just a little bit, but not out of it. Well, come to find out he had more than one. I didn't know about that. The lawyer said, is there anything else I need to know? And there's this big gulp. But I'll guarantee you, I did not pay their fine. 
I didn't. I, I don't say that in any pride. They got to learn. They've got to learn. Don't rob your children of these lessons. I'm not talking about leaving them for the wolves. I'm talking about giving them a chance to learn accountability. Parenting is desperately hard and we need Jesus. Why did it take me so long to get to that? I don't know. We need Jesus. We need the Lord to help us as children and as parents. No wonder Jesus says, come unto me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. That sounds really good. Sounds like a perfect verse for parents. Because parenting can be hard. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Number eight, and these are real quick. I think parenting can be made hard by us being inconsistent with our message. We say, this is what we ought to do, but we don't model this is what we ought to do. Don't tell your children it's important to come to church and then not be there. I know we all have things that come up occasionally that are beyond our control. But our actions speak so much louder than words. And number nine, make sure we focus on the heart more than the behavior because the heart has to come first. Yes, parenting can be hard, but always remember, it's much easier to build a strong child than it is to fix a broken adult. It's much easier to build a strong child, and it's not always easy, but I'll guarantee you that's easier than trying to fix a broken adult. Our goal must be to raise and teach children, teenagers, young adults, who not only know God, but to exalt Him. And those kind of children do not grow on trees. The answer is they come from God. God makes the heart like that. And He is sovereign. God can make such hearts in a dysfunctional family and a failing church. And some of you are proof of that. You have, some of you have come out of dysfunctional families and maybe I'm going to say dysfunctional congregations. But you're here. God can do that. That's not the norm. That's not the percentages. And that's not God's ordinary way. And it's not the way he commands. His way is to breed hearts like that in Christ-exalted families. Christ-exalting churches where one generation praises the works to another. And it's amazing how much easier parenting can become. There's going to be days when it'll just be overwhelmingly hard. You'll say, why in the world? Then they come up and give you a hug and sit on your lap and you remember exactly why, don't you? But these are precious little missiles, arrows, that God has given us to shoot them 20, 25 years further into the future then we're going to go. That's the reason for raising godly children.